Okay, this is the final exam podcast. I'm going to try to go over all of the items that are actually on the final exam, which covers all of the chapters that we went through this semester, as well as the material. Um, You'll want to look more specifically at the review sheet, which is on Blackboard under review sheets, which kind of makes sense. But I'm going to go through each of the topics and try and explain what some of them are as well as tell you what you need to know about them which will give you a little time to look those up and study them but the first thing is the correlation coefficient this is way back from chapter one basically telling you how strong the relationship is between two things or two factors in an experiment make sure you understand the definition of that the second thing are basically what the features of an experiment are, a true experiment. You want to always have random selection, um, make sure that you have control of everything, and that factors that you weren't trying to measure don't mess up your experiment. So make sure you know how those work with the different groups. Like, for example, number three, the independent and dependent variable, what those are. The independent variable is going to be your grouping variable or your cause variable. The dependent variable is kind of more the effect variable. A lot of times it's a measurement such as a test score, okay? So if I wanted to basically compare an online course to an in-person lecture course and then have one large test at the end, the independent variable would be which group you were in, the online test, or the online group versus the in-person group, and the dependent factor would be your score on the final exam. Okay, so that's cause and effect. Um, Number four, um, you kind of want to know about the Institutional Review Board or the IRB. They're going to be the people that approve your experiment, and that's going to kind of be right before everything else. They're going to make sure it's ethical and that you're not doing things that are inappropriate um, that are going to get your institution in trouble. Okay, number five, um, you want to know about functionalism. Okay, functionalism's way back in chapter one. And it's basically about how people adapt to their environment. It's a historical approach in psychology. Make sure you kind of understand the definition of that and are able to recognize it. Okay. Number six is pseudopsychology. So basically, um, some of the false things about psychology, you want to kind of be able to recognize those and parse those out. Um, Number seven, you want to know the definition of psychology, which is basically just going to be looking at mental processes and behavior and the study of those. Okay, be sure to look that definition up. Um, Number eight is kind of moving on to chapter two. It's glia cells. Okay, you want to know what those do. And I know they were a while ago, But glial cells do a lot of things. The first thing they do is they form myelin or the myelin sheath that goes on the axon of a neuron, okay? And this is where it sends the message, okay, electrically. And it basically insulates that neuron, all right? It performs or basically provides a fatty layer around it to basically make it work faster, Okay. The other things glial cells do is they're responsible for cleanup in the brain, basically. They clean out dead cells, etc. Um, and they also provide the blood-brain barrier, okay, the different types of glial cells. 
Number nine, myelin. I've already kind of talked about that, what it is. It's that white fatty substance that speeds up neural transmission, okay? Number 10, the refractory period is basically that space between different action potentials where once it fires, there needs to be kind of a rehab period where it can kind of refill everything and get stocked back up on neurotransmitters. So a small amount of time where it can't fire. So that's called the absolute refractory period. So make sure you understand that. The next one is inhibition. So neurons are either sent positive charges or negative charges via ions, okay? Those ions make it less likely to fire or more likely to fire. Inhibitory transmissions, which are negative, make it less likely to fire because it becomes more negative, okay? Because remember, it sets at negative 70 millivolts, and that's its resting potential. For it to fire, it actually has to move up about 5 millivolts, so kind of keep that in mind. So that's inhibition. Um, excitation is when it goes up, okay? And that's when you're going to get something called an action potential. The action potential is sending one message from one neuron to a second neuron, okay? And this is the same in intensity and the same in strength every single time, okay? Number 12, psychoactive drugs. Um, these are drugs that basically have an effect on the mind and therefore the body as well. And um, you know what most of these are as we covered them. Um, most of them work on neurotransmitters, right? So things like GABA or acetylcholine or serotonin or um, glutamate, any of those neurotransmitters. And they're going to act on that kind of at the receptor or at the synapse, okay? So basically that space between two neurons, they can do things like block reuptake, like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors do, which basically means there's more serotonin available in the synapse for it to bind to the next neuron, okay? That's one way that psychoactive drugs work, and most of them actually work in that way at the synapse to provide either more neurotransmitter or less neurotransmitter, Okay. Now, neurotransmitters basically have either an excitatory or an inhibitory effect. Okay. Your main inhibitory neurotransmitter is going to be GABA. Okay. Um, your main excitatory neurotransmitter is going to be glutamate. All right. Um, make sure you kind of understand what those are. Okay. All of the others that we talk about, like epinephrine, norepinephrine, sorry, that's my cat, Serotonin and dopamine and acetylcholine are all excitatory, but GABA is, of course, inhibitory, okay? Um, moving on, you'll want to know the difference between sensory and motor neurons. Motor neurons move your body. Sensory neurons are what you kind of feel with, all right? I think you kind of know the difference in that. 15, the next one, you want to know about how many rods and how many cones are in the eye and kind of the differential for that, right? Um, there's a lot more rods than there are cones. Uh, rods, of course, or, are for regular vision. Cones are for color vision, which makes sense since it starts with C as well, okay? Moving on to number 16, adaptation to light. You'll want to understand dark adaptation as well as light adaptation and which one happens quicker and which one happens slower in humans. Okay, number 17, 
And number 18, you're moving on to visual theories. This is, of course, chapter three. Um, the trichromatic theory of color vision. Understand what the definition of that is. Also, for number 18, you want to understand what the opponent process theory is. Now, both of these are technically true, okay? You can have more than one theory that is true at the same time, okay? But you also want to kind of understand that they just basically work in different ways and what ways those are, okay? Number 19, you'll want to understand the difference between a visual and an auditory stimulus. What are they, okay? Number 20, um, you'll want to know the definition of pitch as in terms of hearing, okay? Um, number 21 is umami, which is the, I know I'm probably saying that wrong, is the taste, right? We have different taste buds, like salty, bitter, sour, meaty, right? What umami is, is basically that meaty or savory type taste. Um, number 22, basically you wanna know how sleep affects the body right? We need to get a certain amount of sleep. And basically, if we don't, there's some effects of that that are problematic. So know what those are. Okay. Um, number 23 is how much sleep most people actually get or need. Um, so make sure you know how much sleep adults need, but how much they actually average. Okay. Um, 24 circadian rhythms. These are the changes in the light-dark cycle, okay? And they happen with hormones as well as in reaction to the sun coming up and going down, okay? And um, they're quite predictable, and there's a lot of body processes that change with those hormones throughout the day, okay? Now, 25 is melatonin. Um, it's something most people have heard of. It's something a lot of people take to help them sleep at night because it's a natural sort of hormone that usually increases in the early evening, which is why you start to get tired and start yawning when the sun goes down. Okay. And it's basically associated with sleep and, you know, of course the sun going down itself. Okay. Number 26 is back to drugs. Um, you need to know about alcohol and caffeine, Remember, we have things that are depressants, and we also have things that are excitants, I guess, um, or stimulants. Alcohol, of course, depresses your system and is more likely to increase GABA, okay? Caffeine is a stimulant, is basically going to increase things like epinephrine. I'm sorry, that's my cat again. Um, number 27, you want to know about Korsakoff's disease, okay? It's a, it's a memory disorder due to a certain vitamin deficiency, Okay, so be sure to look that up. Number 28 is MDMA, okay, which is a drug, of course. Um, it's a Schedule One drug that it's illegal to produce as well as possess in the United States. But there is something in clinical trials that they're using it for to help treat. So you want to know what that is and how it's working, okay? Number 29 has to do with Pavlov and what type of conditioning he used. And basically, he used forward conditioning, which is going to be placing the bell before the food. That basically means that the bell should predict the food. Okay, so that's forward conditioning. Okay, number 30, um, what did Watson do? He basically did fear conditioning in Little Albert. He did that with a white rat, but he was also able to do it with other animals as well. He was able to show stimulus generalization in him. 
Okay. Um, you want to know the definition of classical conditioning. That's number 31. And then you also want to know what for 32 stimulus discrimination is or what it leads to. Okay. Stimulus discrimination is when you respond to less stimuli over time. Whereas I was talking about stimulus generalization, which is responding to more stimuli. So little Albert responded originally to a rat and then he also responded to a dog and a fur coat and a Santa mask. That's generalization versus discrimination, okay? Know what aversion therapy is. Generally, it's used to treat alcoholism. Um, one of the drugs they use for that is called antabuse. You might be able to find it a little easier that way, okay? Um, not in the drug section, but in the learning chapter, okay? Um, operant conditioning and classical conditioning know kind of how those two systems work. And I know we covered them quite significantly in class, so you should be good with that. Number 35, continuous reinforcement schedules. Um, I know a lot of people had trouble with reinforcement schedules, but basically you just kind of need to understand the continual reinforcement schedule is when you reinforce a behavior every single time it happens rather than every five times. I think I mentioned in class that I have a lot of trouble getting my cat to not scratch on certain chairs in my house. And it's not because I don't tell him not to do it. It's because I don't tell him not to do it at night and I don't do it when I'm not home. So he's not getting a consistent representation of that, okay? A continuous reinforcement schedule would be me doing that every single time he scratched that chair. Learning would probably happen much more quickly that way, okay? That's continuous reinforcement, okay? Number 36, implicit and explicit memory. Make sure you know what those are, which one's conscious, which one's unconscious. Number 37, echoic sensory memory. Um, remember there's iconic and echoic memory. Echoic memory is going to be for sound. Iconic is going to be visual, and those are both types of sensory memory. Okay. Number 38, um, know what the capacity of short-term memory is, like how many items someone can actually remember at once um, without any sort of rehearsal. Number 39, the primacy and the recency effect. Okay, If you're given a list of items and you can't write them down, which ones are you most likely to remember? Probably the ones at the beginning and the ones at the end. Know why that happens. Okay, Number 40, the working memory model versus the three-stage model. Remember, the three-stage model is kind of a step model. You have step one, step two, and step three, and they're very serial. Okay, so be sure to look at those. And then for the working memory model, you have multiple processes working all at once. You have your visual spatial sketch pad. You have um, your phonological loop. Those can both activate at the same time. So it's more of a parallel processor. Be sure to look that up and understand it. Number 41, semantic memory. Be sure to know the definition of that. 42 is episodic memory. Again, a definition. 43, understand the difference between nature and nurture, right? Nature is going to be kind of what you get from your parents. Nurture is going to be what happens from the environment. Okay. Number 44, prehension. 
know what that is or what reflex it's associated with. Um, number 45, know about Piaget, basically kind of what he was interested in studying, which was cognitive development in infants and children. He also kind of looked into adult development, but not real far. He kind of stopped pretty early in terms of his theory. Okay. Number 46, Piaget also talked about egocentrism, which isn't the same thing as being egocentric as an adult. This is basically the idea of not being able to see something from someone else's point of view. Okay. Little kids basically can only see the world from their point of view, not yours. Okay. Number 47, Harlow's monkeys. Um, we didn't talk about this a ton, but it basically has to do with attachment theory. Um, so kind of understand what that is. Number 48, parenting styles. What did we learn about parenting styles? Well, parenting styles differ dependent upon the children and how parents actually interact with them. So you may end up with more than one parenting style within a family if you have more than one child. Okay, that's very interactive. Um, number 48, uh, basically the male version of menopause. It's called andropause. Um, this does actually happen if you're curious. Um, it's basically, you know, the change in hormones that happens in men when they get older. It's not quite as abrupt or as easy to see in men as it is in women, but it does happen. Okay. And then number 50, the personal fable, kind of know what that is. Basically that whole idea uh, when you're an adolescent or when you're like, say, 16, 17, or 18, and you feel like no one understands you and your problems are unique and special compared to everyone else's, and you're different, okay? As you get older, you realize that's not really the case, all right? But that's what a personal fable is, okay? And I'm going to stop there for a few minutes and come back and finish this. So that's the end of the first half.